Good morning again. So real quick before I get started, some kind of updates on Open Door. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, COVID hit and we were doing our normal thing, dinners, and really wrestled with the idea of, I mean, there was only, what, 15 of us at the time, like, hey, we're under the number, we're good, we don't need to really shut down, right, and kind of pursued on up until the lockdown hit, and then when lockdown hit, we still wrestled with the idea, well, maybe we could still do it, right, Um, and we had a a senior in our group, in our midst, who was having some real health issues. And me and her family sat down, talked about it, and said, you know, maybe it's better that we just stop. Um, for her sake, and we did, and we went to Zoom church, right? And I, I got to tell you guys, man, we haven't met formally again. Right, mostly because we can't space ourselves out in the house that we're in enough to be able to keep everybody safe. Uh, but Zoom Church has been really interesting for us. Right, we've picked up a few people from different states um, that are familiar to us and live other places, and now they have a chance to worship with us. And we've picked up a couple families who are familiar with us that live outside of town, come and worship with us, and and so. There is this wrestle with me and my spirit. Do we want to go back to formal church? Right? And that's kind of the wrestle we're having as a congregation is do we go back and lose the new people that we've picked up since COVID hit? Um, because, and they've, both, they've all said, as long as you guys do this, we're, we're here. We're worshiping with you. You know, and... And so that's our wrestle right now. I, I, I mean, we live, the rest of us live close enough to where we can see each other and we still get human contact and human interaction. Um, but the, we do church, when we do church, you guys know we used to do a meal, and then we would do like a glorified Bible study. It's kind of the way I describe it. A text gets picked. We start preaching on it, and at any moment in time, you can ask a question. If there's something you don't understand, you can... On Zoom, you can raise your hand so I see you, or you blurt out something, um, whether it has to do with the topic or not, and we engage it. Um, most of it is because we want people to understand. The struggle I have the most is when people leave church misunderstanding or not knowing something. Um, and I know that you guys have probably all experienced that at different times. The did he really say that? Did he hear? Did he? Say, you're probably going to say that a lot today when I'm preaching. Did he really say that? Like, what's wrong with this guy? Um, but it gives the ability to ask questions, to get clarification, so that there is no misunderstanding. There is no uh, longing to know more um, because you can engage. And we've had real good engagement with Zoom. Is is almost people feel like they're not in front of you. Right, because I guess there's a little bit of nerve that comes when people are in front of you and you want to ask a question. They don't feel that in Zoom because they're in their own space. So it's been really good. That's what we've been doing. Um, outside of that, the house has been kind of vacant. So my wife and I have been using it for work things. My wife does mortgages, so she's been working out of the ministry house. And so the gym is open back up, so we're training people there too. And you know, so. It's been interesting to kind of see how that's happened. Me, personally, I started doing some FedEx stuff. 
right? Delivering for FedEx, uh, which has been, my son is a manager for FedEx on one of the, the contractors out here, and so he asked me to help because I'm big and I'm strong and I, I like to work and sweat and, and do all those good things, and so I um, started delivering for FedEx, and it's been an amazing opportunity to to minister to people out on the streets of Stockton. I get to deliver to A Street. If you guys are familiar with that part of town, it's the south end of Stockton. It's pretty hood at times. The low-income housing's out there. Conway Homes is out there. I get Boggs Track and French Camp at times. And I still get to deliver to Western Ranch. And so it's been interesting the way God has worked through that time where we had a death of one of the members of our church's, one of our church members' fathers passed away. Guess who's in Western Ranch delivering that day and gets to come be there as soon as literally the cops showed up, you know. And um, another family accident happened with one of the sons. Someone ran a car, ran, their, ran a red light, hit, hit her son. Guess who's in Western Ranch? So God is, if you don't believe in providence, you've got to pay more attention, all right? Because God is definitely working some things out in, in the midst of when he has me in the area than when I'm not. Or I get off early enough to be there to support our community members. And I believe today is a providential moment that I get to be here with you, especially with what's going on in our world, especially where my passions lie and the things that happen. And so I want to pray and just ask that you guys be open-minded to what I have to say today. Realize it is not a political statement of what I'm going to say while I'm up here. It is a biblical statement. Everything I will tell you comes straight from Scripture. And if you want to check it, I'll be more than happy to sit down with it with you and go over it. You're going to get a lot of it anyways today. So please, just hear me. Hear my heart. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we come right now and we are so grateful for who and what you are, the things that you do and the ways that you work. And Father, there's so much ugly around us. There's so much pain in the world. But there's also so much beauty of things that you were doing and working in the midst of this time. And so, Father, we surrender all that we are to you. We surrender our heart and our mind. And Father, any place that we've fallen short in you, I pray that you help us, restore us, complete us, fill that brokenness with you. And so, Lord, we just... We need you, and I pray that the words that are spoken are yours to your children and not mine. I pray that you are glorified to the highest, because that's what you deserve. But more importantly, Father, I pray that we can hear your word today and leave here changed and motivated to do the bidding of you. We thank you for all that you are. We thank you for all that you do. We thank you for Jesus going on the cross and dying for our sins. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So today's passage comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second <coughs> Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 11 to 21. Did I say 21? 21. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others, 
What we hope, what we are and plain is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. <clears throat> Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. <clears throat> and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you Christ's behalf, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I just need a little fluid to wet my throat a little bit. So, this is probably the first time, I would say, I don't know if any of you guys have ever heard it, you read the Bible with one hand, the newspaper in the other, and see where they fit. This is me trying to do this. So if it works, awesome. If it doesn't, we won't ever do it again, okay? Um, <clears throat> but let me ask you a question. And you guys know this is how I get down. When we say all lives matters, what does that mean? What does it mean when we say it, right? So think of yourself. If you are a person that says that, what does that mean to you when you say it. Because my next question to you is, do they? Do they? My hope is that we don't say that in response to the other statement that gets said, and we're saying it because we want to rebut that statement, but that we say it because we truly, in our hearts, mean it. This passage is the ministry of reconciliation. This is a mandate that we've been given by God to do. This is not just my job. It's not just Brandon's job. This is all of our jobs. We are all called to the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? What does reconciliation mean? Reconciliation is you take two things that are at strife with one another and find a way to bring them together, to have friendly relationship. That is reconciliation. Right? Think about someone who doesn't like you. 
or someone you don't like. And there be this togetherness that takes place to bring them back. That is reconciliation. You guys hear me say it all the time that we are horrible ambassadors of Jesus. What does that mean? Right? Because in here he says that we are ambassadors of Christ. So what does it mean to say that I, you, we, us are ambassadors of Christ? Well, if we know anything about foreign countries, they send ambassadors here. We send ambassadors to other countries for what? To represent the country they serve in that land. That's what their job is. Their job is to represent their people in the place that they're at. So when I'm saying that we are horrible ambassadors of Christ, what am I saying? Here's my struggle. I've been very observant over the last few months. Watching, listening, engaging in conversation to what Christians do. And I've been struggling to understand how we can read Scripture and do some of the things that we do. Say some of the things that we say. Act in some of the ways that we act. And I'm not just talking about what's transpired over the last month. I'm talking about period. I've just had a lot of off time to be able to observe things in a different lens. And some people have been a lot more vocal than they've ever been in their lives to say some things that they've never said before. So I've been able to observe a lot of stuff. And I asked the question, How do we read scripture and do what we do? My wife and I were engaging in some conversation about this yesterday. Um, She always makes a joke that she keeps me employed, right? Because I have to run certain things that I'm thinking by her to make sure it's appropriate because I could get very inappropriate because I'm so passionate at times. And I, and I read her the passage where Paul is saying, faith, love, and hope. But the most important one of all is love. If that's where we're founded on, where does that come out in our life? This is why I ask the question, do all lives matter when I say it, right? Or do only certain lives matter? This is a mandate given to us by Christ. Christ gave us another mandate called the Great Commission to go out into the world, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching to obey everything I have commanded you. Do we do that? How do we determine who gets that treatment? The treatment of me sharing Jesus with you. 
Do I know what the things are that God commanded of me? Do I know what those are? Because he says to teach to obey the things that I have commanded you. So do I know the commands of God to be able to teach someone to obey them? Do I baptize? I know, I know, in the CRC you're not allowed to. But Jesus is saying it. Baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But do I even engage someone enough about Jesus to bring them to the point of wanting to be baptized? This is why I titled this sermon, Christianity, with a question mark. Because I want to know, what is Christianity then? Why do we come to church on Sunday mornings? Like, what is the point of us being here if there isn't something that is taking place in our lives that is causing us to bring some change to the way I see the world and interact with it? What is the point of the lessons that Brandon and, and, and Pastor Ken and, and me put together? Is it just to feel good? Like, these are questions that I've been wrestling with for like the last five weeks as I've come up with this text. Acts chapter 1 says, When the Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. It's another mandate. It's the heart. It's the main verse of the book of Acts. Do we do that one? How do we determine who, gets to, who we witness to? What's a witness? A witness is in the court of law that somebody that sits up there and tells somebody what they see. So the, the lawyer is going to say, did you see that person rob them? You're going to say, yes, I did or no, I didn't based on what you saw. Where do we tell what we know about Jesus? Do we know people who don't know Jesus? I ask this question all the time. Like, what does my circles look like? Who am I surrounding myself with? Am I surrounding myself with people who I would consider safe? Or am I surrounding myself with people that Jesus engaged with? When Jesus... Brought, had the woman brought to him that was caught in adultery. The idea was that she was probably naked because she was caught in adul- the act of, so she was probably naked. They didn't give her a chance to get dressed probably. And they brought her and they threw her at his feet. And they say, what says you about her? He didn't go, oh, you disgust me. Get away from me. I can't believe you do this stuff, lady. No, what he did was he knelt down, started writing in the dirt. He said, whichever one of you has not sinned, throw the first stone. And it says, as they were standing there getting ready to stone her, because that's what the penalty was for adultery, rocks started falling out of their hands and they started to disperse. 
when he gets up, he looks up and goes, where'd everybody go? She's like, they've all left. And he said, well, if none of them condemn you, neither do I. Go. Sin no more. Right? There's many, many stories that are like this where people, Jesus is encountering the woman at the well, right? And, and, she's, and, she's, and she's talking to him about her husbands, and Jesus is like, look, you've had five of them. Matter of fact, the dude you're living with right now isn't your husband. But I have living water that you would love. And she's like, give me that water. You would never need to drink again. You would never thirst again if you had this water. And then she goes running off, come meet the prophet that's told me everything about my life. Like never once, he's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you think that way or you do this. Get away from me, get out of, get out of in front of me. I hate you, I can't stand you. None of that. Matter of fact, what he is filled with is love for them. Love. I always ask the question, what comes first? Belonging, believing, or behaving? Let's modify that a little bit and say, what's more important? Belonging, believing, or behaving? Because I, th- I still think the answer is the same. <clears throat> if I take, if I get real with myself, if I'm honest with me, And I take those three passages I just talked to you that Jesus mandated us to do. And I ask, do I do them? I really hope behaving or believing is not the most important. Because then I fail. Because if I'm not doing it and I know it, that's that's rebellion. I can't say, oh, I didn't know that. I, w- I didn't know I was supposed to do that. No, I'm just being defiant. I know I'm supposed to. It's been preached before. I know it has. And I choose not to do it. I choose not to tell people about Jesus. I choose not to witness. For whatever reason. I'm scared. I don't know what to say. All this, I can come up with all kinds of stuff in my head of why I don't do it. I hope believing and behaving are not most important. So then what I need to do is be grateful and thank people for allowing me to belong. You guys allow me to belong. And that's what gives me the ability to one day believe and behave. Because as long as I belong, you're not going to get rid of me. Because there has to be something inside of you that causes you to care about me enough to let me be here. I always ask the question, we know how much great... Well, 
I, I hope, I want to believe that we know how much grace was required in order for me to live the life that I live today. I, I say that a lot too. It's one of my normal quotes. Do we realize how much grace was required for me to live the life that I live? If I do, can I give that same grace to someone else? Can I extend to someone else that same amount of grace to be here too? If I don't know how much grace it required, it required the death of Jesus on the cross to bear my sins for me so that I could be seen as righteous by the Father. Because there's nothing that I can do that deserves his love. There's nothing I can do that deserves his goodness. There's nothing that I can do that deserves eternal life with him. Because I am a sinner from conception. Scripture says it. (laughs) I'm out of the game at the beginning. But he died on the cross for me. So that I can be seen as holy by the Father. So where does this text fit in? It's the ministry of reconciliation, right? Where'd my Bible go? says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Paul did what he did because he was, because Christ loved him so much he had no other response. My question is, do we have that same amount of love from God? Here's where this text falls short. Do I understand the gospel of Jesus? Do I understand that no matter where I come from, no matter what I've done, no matter who I am, no matter where I was born, no matter what my family thinks, I was never deserving of heaven. Never, 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 never. Because I do think quietly, subconsciously, there are some of us that think that. But, oh, my sins weren't as bad as the other person, so, yeah, of course I would get heaven. If they're going to get heaven, I definitely deserve to get heaven. I ain't done half of that stuff. I've been told that. I shared that story with you guys. Coach the kid, he's, he was, he's raising the church, and he comes to me, he's like, Coach, I, gotta, I just got to confess something to you. I said, what? He said, I'm upset with God. I said, why are you upset with God, man? We're in study hall. You know, I'm the bottom of the barrel guy. I'm the low, poke, low totem pole coach, so I get to sit in the, there while they're doing their homework stuff. And he said, I'm mad because I ain't done half the stuff you've done in your life, and you're going to get the same reward in heaven at the end of time that I'm going to get in my life. Really, bro? That upsets you? 
said, I'm sure glad you ain't the one dispersing the grace then. Because according to you, I wouldn't get none. And I, do we think like that? This ain't open doors. You don't have to answer. But in open door, they got to answer, right? So in your own head, you can answer yourself. Subconsciously, do we think like that? Do we think that God's blessings has a certain amount? And if, if you get some and you've been really bad, you're going to take most of the blessings so there's not going to be enough left for me? Like, does God have a, an allotment that he's working with? Or is it infinity? Is it infinity? And what does it mean to say that, I, that Christ loved me so much that he gave me what I didn't deserve? What I didn't deserve. Holy cow, we're getting crazy over here. I need to move faster. Verse 16 says, so from now on we regard no one with a worldly point of view. We regard no one, no one, no one with a worldly point of view. Ooh, what does that mean right there? That means I don't look at you by what you do, who you are, where you come from, what color you are, none of that. What line you stand on, none of that. What do I look at you with? I look at you with the lenses of Jesus Christ. How hard is that? Right? My kids, my kids have a, a their, their biological father, my two oldest sons, biological, their auntie was murdered about 30 years ago right? Cold blood. They've actually been on an episode of the, the 48 or 48 hours or the real, whatever it's called. Their family was on an episode of that because the guy was looking for parole, right? My kids wrestle with, should he get parole? They're like, no, my auntie didn't get to live. He has to stay in there forever and die. He's dying there. I'm going to go every time and make sure I tell the judge. I'm like, bro, you weren't even born when that dude did it. Well, I didn't get to meet her. This is what they're saying. I didn't get to meet her, so he doesn't get to get out. That's a worldly point of view. That's what that looks like. And because of the love of Christ, we don't get to look at people like that anymore. Why? Because I don't get looked at like that anymore. I don't. By Christ. What did he do? He took my sins upon him. And that's why I said, if we don't understand the gospel, none of this makes sense. But Jesus bore my sin on the cross when he went and died for me. He said, give those to me. I will take them, right? And in here, in verse uh, 19, it says uh, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. But I want to count yours against you and tell you you're not good enough to know about Jesus, to hear about the goodness that I have in my life because of him. Like, I get to make that determination that because you stand on this side of the line and you do this activity, you don't deserve Christ. That's why I said, when we say all lives matter, do we really mean that? Like, check your heart. Or are we saying it in rebuttal to what the other statement is? 
Because how do I determine who gets to hear about the goodness of Jesus? I was listening to this really conservative pastor. Really conservative, right? He makes people go crazy with how conservative he is at times. And he said, do you know what happens when we start drawing lines in the sand? We start turning enemies in the mission field. I went, did that guy just really say that? Did he really just say that? Because that's what we do. When we start drawing lines in the sand, we start making enemies in our mission field. Enemies. Oh, you're on that side of the line. We ain't got nothing to talk about. I've seen, I've seen families destroyed over the last few months over what's going on in our world. Destroyed. Separated. Because I'm on this side, you're on that side. We can't get along no more. I've seen friendships ruined because of it. You know what line we're supposed to be drawing? The Jesus line. I'm an ambassador. Did I once say the ambassador's job is to change the culture? No. I said they're there to represent the country they come from. Our job as ambassadors here is not to fight political battles, not to fight social battles, not to fight moral issues. None of that. Our job here is to fight sin and tell people about Jesus. Tell people about Jesus. What happens when Jesus starts to get proclaimed? Those lines start to go away. Why? Because more people know about Jesus. And they get introduced to that love that I talked about. If I stopped looking at you based on the color of your skin, where you come from, how you act, and looked at you through the lens of Christ, when he was on the cross, what did he say? He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. He was pleading for us. Father, forgive them. They're going to do all kinds of insane things. They don't know why they're killing me right now. But forgive them. That is our job, is to say, I forgive you, because I was forgiven. And I didn't deserve it. Yes, not everybody's going to receive it. Yes, God has chosen those that he wants to receive it. But we don't know who it is. He didn't download no list of my phone. Oh, Nate is on the list. I need to go talk to Nate. No, I don't know the list. So my job is to tell everybody that I can about Jesus. Let God sort that out with them. But my job is just to fulfill the mandates that he's been given me to go out into the world and tell people about him. When it says that he no longer holds their sins against them, forgiveness is key. Right? This is all from the will of the Father, right? right? Right above it says that all this is from God. So this isn't me saying, oh, go out there and, and do, earn, your, earn your salvation. No, this is all from God. He's forgiven us. He's forgiven everyone that he's called to himself. He has. My job is just to go out there and to reconcile. Tell people about him. 
Verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. Are we new creations? The only way that I can help somebody else understand what that looks like is to be it. That's one thing I I like to try to teach my kids. You can't do something you don't know. How do I live out this new creation? How do I live differently than I did prior to knowing Christ? The whole life has to go. Now, it's about living in the new creation of Jesus. The one who bore my sins upon him. God is treating Jesus like it was me. And he's treating me like I'm Jesus. Jesus didn't commit a single sin. Not one. So we're getting treated like Christ in the eyes of the Father. And so this is like the question that I always go back to. Like, what does it look like to be so in love with Jesus that we would do whatever it takes? Like, what does that look like? What does that mean? When someone says, what do you do for a living? Oh, I reconcile people back to God. What do you do for a living? Not that I'm a farmer, teacher, school teacher. I just said that, huh? FedEx driver. But do you know Jesus? Like that be who we are. Paul didn't do Paul left everything behind. So did all the disciples when they met Jesus. They were leaving boats, families, everything. Left them behind to follow Christ. And I, I always ask that question, like, what made them do it? And it was the love. What is it that causes strife in our hearts to say, to not realize the same love that they realize? Because there has to be something, right? There's something blocking us to say that you love me so much, I will do whatever you ask. I don't know if you guys have any people in your lives that are like that. Like, I love you so much, I will do whatever you ask. Not in, uh, not in an unhealthy way, but in a very healthy way you ask that question. Is there? And if there's not, maybe that's the problem, that we don't know what that looks like. Just being honest with you. We don't know what that looks like. Am I willing to lay my life down for anyone at any time? Am I? Or, there's a list of people I would do it for. Everybody else? Sorry. 
That's what we're called to. This is the ministry of reconciliation. This, I would say, is Christianity. This is what it looks like. It looks like Jesus. And what does it mean for me to look like Jesus? God does not ask us to do anything he has not already put inside of us. So, once again, don't hear me saying this is a human effort. This is all God. God instilled his spirit in me. Do I believe that? Which then takes me back to the Acts one. It says, when the spirit gets inside of you, then you will become my witnesses and go out into the world and share the gospel. So if I believe that his spirit's in me, then I should be ready to get out there. But he's already instilled his spirit in me to be able to do the work he's asked of me. So I just want us to think about those things. I want to challenge us. How do we see people through the lens of Christ? I pray for that every day. God, let me be your hands. Let me see with your eyes. Let me feel with your heart. It's like praying for patience. Don't do it unless you're ready for it. Because you see the world in a way different place. Completely different. And your heart starts hurting for people that you never thought it would ever hurt for. Because as people were killing Jesus, he was asking for their forgiveness. Stephen did the same thing. As Paul had his, the killer's coats laid at his feet, watching, cheering them on. Kill that guy! And Stephen's getting stoned. Stephen's in chapter 7 of Acts, if you don't know. Chapter 7 of Acts, he's getting stoned, and he looks up into the sky, and it, the sky opens and he sees God and Jesus sitting at the right hand. And he gets killed. And he's like, let it be. For the glory of God. I've been praying real hard about this, man. You guys got to know. Like, I, I come out of love saying this to you. Like, for real, for real. Because I watch our world, and it's falling apart at the seams. It really is. And the only ones with the answers to fix it is us. Us. Followers of Christ. We're the only ones who can fix it. It begins with not drawing lines in the sand unless it's a Jesus line. And it's let me tell you about Christ on both sides. Let me tell you about the one who has the ability to change your life because he's changed mine. But I just challenge you, as you go from here, Pray for his eyes to see, his hands to feel, his heart to love. 
I'm telling you, it does not change. Let's pray. Father, we come right now. We're so grateful for you and what you do. And, oh, man, Lord, like, you're so good to us. And you've done so much. And you help us to be people that we never thought we could be because you loved us in an immense, powerful way. And so, Father, right now, I pray that as we are uh, getting ready to go into the mission field, that you help us to uh, do the work of the, with the people around us, Lord, that you have called us to engage people with your love and your mercy and your compassion. But because we know what it looks like and how to live in it, we can give it. And so, Father... You are such a good God. This is all according to your divine purposes, and we know that. And this is not us doing it of our own power of will and living in fear of what people might say or might do. That doesn't matter to us because ultimately serving you is more important than anything else. Serving you is the ultimate. And so we thank you for all that you've done, all that you're going to do. And we praise in Jesus' mighty name.